Um, I'm sorry about that. Come on, classic come on, man. Here we go. Can everybody oh, see man. this? Look at this. How about that? Look, 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 look at us. Look at our shit. Look at our shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Here we are. Uh, look at this. I, I, Anno eighteen hundred. Yes, as you can imagine, uh, that uh, technical difficulty was due to me. <laughs> uh, I bungled it. Yes. Can you believe it? Uh, what up, chat? And look, and it appears that we are streaming in over one frame per second uh, right now, but we'll see how that goes. So uh, hopefully this will be a little better than the... Uh, I mean, I had a good time, but uh, frankly disastrous uh, Assassin's Creed stream. It, it, the, 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 it was a little... It was a little uh, jerky. It's a little ro they were doing the robot. Yeah, but now we are going to have a nice low key Anno eighteen hundred stream. Uh, Matt, Anno eighteen hundred is a nineteenth industrial age city building game in which you take your a little Ooh. island colony uh, across both the old world and the new from um, ag agrarian village into uh, through all the eras up into like financial center. Uh, that's like the uh, yeah. highest level you can go. So this is a capitalism builder. It's a capitalism builder, exactly. Kind of c compressing all. Oh, of, excellent! Uh, capitalism, folks. Let's let's link and build. Yes. All right. I'm just gonna give a few minutes to like get everybody in here, make sure that our levels are good. Yes. Yes. Um, check my settings, yes. make sure that everything is great before we dive into this you, game. Do you get the name, the town? Uh, you can. Yeah. Wondering what a good name for the town would be. Um, something 19th century, I guess. Uh, uh, like, uh, well, also, I'll start by taking you into one that I've already built, and then maybe. Ah, yes. Oh, I'm quiet and Matt's loud. Okay, testing one, two, turning up, turning up. Does that better, better, better? Matt is loud a little bit. Here's you're louder. I can hear you. That's for sure. All right, great. But apparently, I'm too. Which is against uh, against the grain. I'm usually too quiet on these things. All right. Well, we'll see what we can do. Um, All right. So, do you have a do you have a name for your town? I think I let it auto name. Uh, you know, just kind of whatever whatever it populated. But I'm gonna get into this. Sure. Yeah, All let's right. Do it. All right. Let's see. Just moving my windows around so I can kind of see everything. Uh, let's see if this shit works. Um, all right, here's the one that I've already been using. Oh, look at your little village. It's adorable. Well, that's just a loading screen. It looks like, oh, I'm sorry. It looks like one of Hitler's paintings. <laughs> uh, but look at this guy on a fucking penny farthing. That's what we're aspiring yes, to. Yes, a true pimp. Oh, hello. Nice little doff of the cap. Wow, what a wonderful town. Um, I have not uh, built two bicycle factories right yet. I'm at window factories. <laughs> um, so we'll get in here and I'll take you a tour around. And then I, um, I have a, a opening question for you. Yes, please. As soon as this, okay, here, here we go. Uh, All right. So here's my little town. Um. This is my secondary island, actually. Oh, God. Am I going to have this problem again? There we go. Okay, so... Uh, 
Um, we've got some steamships going. Um, here's my main camp. You got to get some steam going. Um, over here, we have kind of my agricultural area. We've got like pig farms, sheep farms, pigs you can process into uh, either soap or uh, sausages. Uh, we've got some uh, sausages, both delicious. We've got some potato farms here to turn into uh, schnapps to keep the peasants happy. We've got some farms, uh, some do farms down here to uh, turn into uh, bread. Here is my main agriculture or uh, residential area. You know, you've got my um, here. So basically, you uh, that you really is first rate. Shut up. Uh, you got these like farm vi- villages, right? And you have to fulfill them. Uh, is this Farmville? Is this the same game or a different game? Yeah, it's it's similar. You basically have to. The goal is to fill your uh, your your population's needs, and at different levels they have different needs. So if you're just a farmer, you basically just need clothes and fish, and then you upgrade their house you to a worker, and they're going to have more needs: uh, sausages, breads, soaps, uh, educations, and then eventually. Euphoria! I am possessed by the demons of ecstasy! <laughs> Do you uh, upgrade them into artisans, and they, they need other um, needs. Right. So-and-so. And then, to do that, you develop new industries. So here's a window-making industry, right? Which requires wood and glass. But, you know, higher-level industries require higher-level workers. You need artisans to man your window factory, whereas you only need put, farmers to man your uh, little lumberjack factory. Give me a second. I'm going to turn on the game sounds on it. So that's the basic thing. And I'm just going to like tend to my little, uh, my little domain here. Um, But Matt, I wanted to ask you, and I asked this on Twitter and I think people got the wrong gist of my question, which is uh, what is the hardest drug do you think that has been done inside the white house? And now when I ask this immediately, everybody's like, Oh, you know, uh, JFK got the B12 injections all the time. No, I'm talking about a recreational drug. Right, done. something for fun. Something uh, for fun. Not, yeah. not, not in the uh, 19th century when everybody was taking opium because it was in the fucking Coca-Cola or whatever. Like something that is right. Yes, an, a, a, that's a good point. An illicit substance in the in the sense that it is made illegal by the government, used inside the right. White House. Uh, well, of course, the joke, LOL joke is adrenochrome. LOL, yes, of course. Uh, you've got to figure that George W. Bush did coke in the White House while he was, not maybe not during his term, but during his dad's term or as vice president or as president, right? you got to figure he went and did some bumps in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. So not while he was, that is a good point. Not while he was president, but at another time during uh, somebody yeah. else's presidency. That's for sure. Now, uh, JFK's, one of JFK's girlfriends claimed uh, in her diary that he uh, chewed down the lounge uh, and also that he had done LSD. I don't know about in the White House, but he smoked, he smoked the chronic uh, in the White House, out, on the, out, out by the Rose Garden, I guess. Uh, also, she was mysteriously uh, murdered, by the way, shortly after Kennedy's assassination. Who, who weird, was that? Weird thing that happened there. Um, uh, who else? There's a story about like Willie Nelson doing LSD on the roof, but I think I agree that it should be somebody who was working there. Yes. That's whatever you really mean. Because that's what we're talking so, about. We're talking about Biden's yeah. thing where he's firing all the, the, the pot smoke. I bet Bannon probably did coke while he was there for like six months. 
Yeah. yeah, I bet Bannon was like bang because like he is like just the cokiest cokehead who's ever coked, and he never like had a, a Jesus moment like Bush did. Uh, it it though also Bannon strikes me as a guy who is on some stuff that we've never heard of, like not oh, just like sure. a Chinese research chemicals, yeah, the kind of stuff a, that makes like, you see through walls. Yeah, not just like pre- prescriptions like Zans or whatever, but like something that. When he, if he described it to you, you would be genuinely baffled about where one would come by something like this. Powdered rhino horn. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, Grace Slick tried to dose uh, Richard Nixon. The Jefferson Airplane went to the White House. And that, I, 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 imagining, I, you know, I love alternative history, uh, an alternative history where Grace Slick successfully doses Nixon. He has a spiritual uh, revolutionary experience, and he uh, overthrows capitalism. <laughs> he becomes a like, like a Maoist worldist through uh, hallucinatory. Well, he, he he takes his effort at detente and transforms it into like a global alliance against capital, with the U.S. state like sort of turning on uh, itself because of all the because uh, he got on the beam. <laughs> no, of course that's a joke. It would be very. I would. I would be fascinated to have seen what Nixon would have done on acid. My guess is uh, he might. He would. He more likely to have like tried to kill all the Jews in America than make world peace. <laughs> uh, so right now, my secondary island has this illness breaking out, and I'm trying to build a hospital. Burpees. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. What kind of 19th century illness would they get? Like cholera or something? Oh, cholera is a big one. Yeah. Cholera is very big. Because that's the th- last thing to go in when you build uh, up uh, infrastructure, urban infrastructure, is sanitation, which you'd think would be first. But nope, it's, usually, it's the other way around. For most of the mid-19th century, there was a giant pond of human shit a couple hundred yards behind the White House. Probably responsible for the death of three presidents. Yes. It's just like, yeah, that's what it means to have a city is you just leave your shit in giant pools. So people got that all the time. Uh, and it would just rampage through areas. Um, but I can't build a hospital on my new island because it doesn't have any steel. Steel is created on my old island, which you asked what the name of it is. It's Ah, you got to integrate, dude. The roof foam? Thyrofoam, thyrofoam. Uh, so I'm creating a trade route to shepherd, uh, shepherd steel to my island, and I don't know goulash to the main island, so I can create canned foods, which is necessary to move up my evolve my uh, workforce. So let's see if I can do this. So I'm assuming that this is all like internal politics. All of your neighbors are just other subjects of the same. I'm assuming a nation state. Yeah, it's kind of implied that way that there are different. Um, that they're they're just different people with charters to develop this area. Although they are, I'll, I'll take you around and show you some of the background of them. It is it is kind of a, an international assortment. Let me just create this. Um, this. It's like seems like the option of just taking other people's shit should always be on there. Yes, I mean, I've, eventually, perhaps you can um, do raids and stuff. I haven't quite gotten there. And then in the other one, I'm going to load... What did I want to load? Uh, fucking goulash. Yes. Let's load 10 units uh, of goulash. Uh, I, 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 from the 
Uh, Adam Smith, I've read, you really got to get a pin factory going. Is that is that as soon as possible? That's how you get capitalism. That's how you get the invisible hand working. Is you got to get a damn pin factory. Make some pins. Uh, what, where was pins just something that was like really big in Scotland? No, it's like it's he uses a pin factory as his uh, thought experiment example of how capitalism uh, operates. Um. Pin seems like a, it would be an actually fairly sophisticated thing to manufacture in the 1870s. Yeah, they're so, so tiny. small. Yeah, how would you how would you do that? It requires specialization. Yes, it does. Hyper special specialization. Um, all right. So, what's going on in the chat? What What do we want to talk about today? We're 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 in anno 1800, so we should really focus this on like 19th century questions. I I I have to say, I'm one behind in your in your um readings matt i was just listening to the one from friday even though i embarrassingly have already published both both of the most two recent kush logs to youtube or uh and soundcloud without doing quality control oh no well let's just hope i didn't uh, drop any uh slurs i'm pretty sure i didn't no it w- that would be a very embarrassing one to, to drop them in so uh how's how's reconstruction <laughs> going uh it's going it's a land of contrasts as you could imagine it's uh, the beginning of radical reconstruction, which means republic, interracial Republican governance throughout the South. Uh, but at every level, all efforts to create a new understanding of citizenship, a new uh, framework for uh, n- non-racial uh, d- democracy is undermined by uh, the drive to, of capitalism, essentially, to assert itself over the North, the South, throughout the whole damn country, the forces that had been that had helped bring about the war uh, in its aftermath start really turning the screws, mostly in the form of uh, the currency. That's really the uh, untold uh, story of Reconstruction. Is that behind the whole thing is the battle over how the U.S. would pay its war debt uh, and how it would issue currency in the future, Uh, because. There was no national U.S. currency issued before the Civil War. And then after the war, the economy was at a size where it was necessary uh, to maintain one. But the question was going to be, what would its value be based on? Uh, In the most recent one, did you end up talking more about bimetallism? Because I just finished The Republic for Which It Stands, and the very, like, where that book leads off, it leaves off is basically the, the 1896 presidential election. Uh, which is all about bimetallism, which is it seems very funny in the ba- in in retrospect that they were like this that it was literally a silver bullet, you know, that they were literally going to fix the currency situation just by sub- substituting one shiny rock for another shiny rock. Well, it's more of a shiny rock is the thing is that silver adds supply, and really it was all a battle about how much money supply there should be, how much how much economic circulation should be d- done at the level of the uh, citizen and consumer and, and worker than at the level of the debt holder, the mm-hmm. banks. That's been the battle of, of American, uh, American economy since its founding. Uh, and the bimetallist po- po- position of uh, the populists and Democrats under Bryan in uh, 92 uh, is, or yeah, 92, is uh, really a compromise from the original uh, because at this point, when 
The U.S. is flying basically by the seat of its pants, inventing a currency for the first time, a fiat currency, in order to fund the war. And now the war being over, being asked how we're going to build a, uh, a currency, uh, the positions were on the side of the bankers, conservative Republicans, but also uh, bourbon and conservative Democrats, the party apparatus, the people who are captured by capital, saying uh, we need to put, we need to back all of our debts and our currency with gold. And that means that if we have a bunch of old greenbacks out in circulation, we're going to have to take them out over time. We're going to have to shrink the money supply. Uh, and the alternative to that position, proposition by people like George Pendleton in the Democrats and later uh, Benjamin Butler was just print money. Yes. It was, it was, it was not, there was no silver involved. Silver happened after gold won basically, and created a new state, a new status quo that uh, that the populists had to fight against. And that meant, OK, fine, free money. That's crazy. Uh, but all right, how about some put some silver in there? Uh, but at the time, having just won the war on the strength of money that was backed by force uh, and now having, a, 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 you know, achieved the conquest of the continent, really, uh, the other side was saying, yeah, just print the money. Just, just you're you're the government, but that makes it democratically controlled. We couldn't have fiat currency until we had abstracted uh, the, the the distribution of, of currency away from democratic mechanisms. That is why the uh, you could it, it really couldn't happen until after the Federal Reserve System came into being uh, in after 1916. Because if, you, if it's a political question of how much money is, is in circulation, well, shit, <laughs> then why wouldn't people on the bottom do the thing that Madison and all those fucking planters and aristocrats who wrote the Constitution were terrified of and vote themselves prosperity? Right. Uh, so that could not and, and cause And that couldn't happen for a number of reasons. I, I mean, but... Uh, and I mean, it literally couldn't happen because they didn't have the power, political power, to force that to happen. Uh, Capital One, because it was more organized and more influential. And because in the 1870s, as the economy, post-war economy burst open, uh, it spread a bunch of cash around that was used to literally buy government. It was the era of corruption. And that's one thing that uh, the Dunning School of Reconstruction obscures. Yes, the Reconstruction governments were very corrupt, but it was part of a general bonanza of of influence buying on the part of uh, banks, uh, uh, manufacturers, but mostly railroads. Because after the Civil War yes, ended, the, that the economic engine was gone and there needed something to be to fill it or else the economy would collapse. It had to be some economic activity that, that we could organize around and distribute resources towards and state resources towards. And that had been winning the war. And after the war, it became in both the North and South trains. And that was a disaster. That was the victory of capital. And then once, and it did the work of capitalism. That's why you can't talk about it as a disaster. It was, it was, it was necessary. The productive forces didn't exist for the working class to a self-assert political power. So it was going to happen. At that point, after the war ends on the terms it does, and reconstruction ends on the terms it does, uh, thanks in large part to the Johnson administration, uh, the course is set towards capitalist development. 
uproot social orders uh, and uh, proletarianizes people, uh, but also uh, creates more sophisticated political uh, mechanisms and technological mechanisms that can hopefully in the future be used for social ends. Uh I just paused for a second because I thought you might enjoy this. Uh, every once in a while, the newspaper editor on your island uh, stops by to ask whether or not you approve of the paper he's edited. And uh, for various uh, penalties, you can alter the articles for a propaganda. <laughs> that's, very, that's very correct, yes. So people who are mad that there's a farm labor, labor shortage will guess what? Uh, you're happier than you think. Uh, relationship sour with uh, <laughs> yeah. the nearby pilot overwarlordness. Overwarlordess, uh, invest now. Uh, publish, get that propaganda. Right. Uh, yeah, if you if you don't, hey uh, editor, if you don't change that shit, you're gonna lose your state uh, uh, printing contract. Uh, That's yes. how in the 19th century they they kept control of the media. Yes. Uh, Dear Pusan, I will. I instruct my editor to remove the stories about Stephen Donziger. <laughs> very, very good. Um, so it said there that before you did your propaganda uh, operation, before you changed the news, yeah, uh, I saw that it said that relations with a, another island are deteriorating. So you do have like a yes, milit- you have like a a, a state relationship with the other islands. Yes. So I had okay. A- so that means you need to invade some shit. This thing is, you are only going to win if you swallow your competitor in capitalism as in statecraft. All right. Well, let's let's get working on that then. I will begin a long-term project. So I have one ship of the line here. Uh, why don't I start making a few more of these guys? Yeah, get some boats. Boats, as the British will tell you, are incredibly important. Those lidless reptilians, those pale freaks, were able to conquer the entire world on behalf of capitalism. They were able to leverage buy out the Dutch who originally invented the shit because of their control of the waves because they got a bunch of boats together and they literally deforested their entire island to do it, by the way. England has basically no old growth forests because it's always used to build, uh, obviously, homes and uses firewood, but boats. And it worked. They were able to use everybody else's land to grow their food. Well, now they're insanely trying to uh, try to go back to self-sufficiency, and I say to them, "Good luck." <laughs> um, so here's another thing about how this game works: is that it works, uh, I think, rather interestingly for a. Do you mind? Yeah, fuck it, go for it. Um, on these production change, which I think is an interesting way to conceive of development. So right now, I'm trying to build can get canned goods to uh, develop the needs of higher level artisans. Well, to get canned goods. I need an iron mine to make the cans and then also a cattle farm and a pepper mill to make the goulash that goes into the cannery. So that's what I'm trying to develop here because this island only has the fertility to grow peppers and cattle. So I've got to make the goulash here and then fucking ship it back over to my main island to make the canned goods to develop my uh, artisan class. Just a little about what's going on behind us. Oh, brother. Yeah, I know. Complicated, right? You sure you can't do any more uh, primitive accumulation, if you know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, Just taking some shit from people, which is generally how you do it. Yeah, well, this is what the British did. This isn't quite an invasion game. Um, Another thing that I wanted to pick your mind on uh, is something that you kind of said offhandedly, and I wondered how much you actually believed it or bought up to it, is uh, the relationship between 
Um, if it has been the truth forever that the parties in America have essentially always represented the elite, but one of the either and they switch who they represent over time, but it's either the land or the finance. Yes. An elite of the land or an elite of the finance. Thorns and wigs. That's the only way it can work. That's the way it worked in England, and we inherited it. And is, is that still a viable way to conceive of how the parties work? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's uh, The Democrats are the party of, of finance capital, coastal uh, money, coastal money, basically. And they are either directly related to those industries or, more likely, they are part of the culture, the cultural superstructure that surrounds concentrations of finance capital. The way to imagine America at this point is it's a lot like medieval uh, uh, Renaissance Northern Italy in that economic productivity is concentrated in a few city states. New York is Venice, finance hub. Uh, uh, San Francisco, home of Silicon Valley, which is like the nerve center of uh, like the defense industry, uh, and it is like Milan, which made uh, the majority of armor, the, the military technology of, of that era. And of course, L.A. is Rome, where <laughs> we make culture, which is what religion, what replaced religion. Uh, but in the middle... It's a bunch of land that now in the global marketplace doesn't really mean anything. Like there's agricultural production, but it's done mechanically. There is, uh, there is manufacturing, but it is also largely done mechanically. What, uh, what, le what is left on the land are these concentrations around things like extraction industries, like, the, uh, nat like oil and natural gas. Uh, um, uh, and then like franchise retail. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about the beautiful boat dealers, but also car dealers, restaurateurs and franchisees, small local manufacturers. That is the party. Of, and the Republicans are that party. They're the party of those people. And as you say, just like and, and just like with the Democrats and the finance, it's not a lot of a lot, not a lot of the actual base. Not a lot of the voters are those people. The base voters are the people who live in those cultural superstructures around those capital formations, which means throughout the hinterland. Lovely. So yeah, it's land and money. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. what it is is, is it's I mean, I, capitalism. I, thought, yeah. I, would, I was just thinking that, that, you know, there are many different ways, and we've certainly just each other gone over so many different ways that you can formulate like what the essential power bases are. But I'd never uh, like really heard, at least you say something like so, cl so clear that, you know, can be used. I'm, but all the, all these things are never like literally true. It's just like a good heuristic on which you can like track. That's the thing. It's like know? the reason it's so easy to get lost in these arguments about like the nature of our political divide and what is fascism and who's the, who's Trump's base and what is the PMC is because if you get down to any level of specificity, any kind of generalization breaks down. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about things like political understanding at the level of strategy and like like just getting a terrain sense that you're actually being asked to do as a citizen, like who should I vote for? What political organization should I support? And you don't need all that specificity. You need general concepts. Right. 
And like, but the thing about these groups is, of course, they contain within them the other. Everything contains within it the other. Look at the yin and yang symbol. They got the little dots. But it's that they are stable categories that individual people move in and out of. Like, here's a perfect example. The, uh, the land party and the Civil War was the democracy led by Southern planters, right? Right. They were intransigent in their resistance to the domination of finance and revolted. Finance won. Those people uh, were dispossessed of political power. But there still was a productive land-based economy of the South. Who was going to be in charge of it? Who is the new ruling class of the South now that these people have lost their political power in the war? Well, as the South develops uh, capitalistically, through railroad investment, mostly, it creates uh, a situation where capital moves from the coastal ports where it had concentrated, because that's the only place that large amounts of cotton uh, and staple good uh, trade happened. You weren't doing internal trade within the South. Everything was going to the ports to go to Europe. So Charleston, New Orleans, these are the only places with any economic activity. Railroads branching through the interior south creates nodes of capital. And right. that means money is flowing around in those areas. People are going into debt. Banks are being formed. Who is going to be in charge of that money? It's going to be make, the, the people who take those positions are the people – who had been the land-owning ruling class, who had kept their land, which was a lot of them in the uh, cotton region, fewer in the rice and sugar reasons because that plantation agriculture uh, was di the, the, what went into it was different, which meant that uh, they were essentially either ruined or bought out in those areas. But in cotton, the old elite were able to hold their land, and then they used their, the capital around their uh, land to buy into this new uh, capitalist economy. So they move from land to capital, to, uh, to banking, but keeping the land. Uh, what happened, then the other group, the other group of people who are like merchants or landless laborers, artisans, uh, clerks, petty bourgeois of the small, the small number who existed in the cities of the South before the Civil War, they uh, engage in, um, uh, capitalism, they gain capital, and what do they do? They buy land. Mm -hmm. And so you have a new ruling class made up of a synthesis of the urban, uh, the small urban middle class and the landowning uh, uh, ruling class. of the, And they become the new ruling class of the South around this new synthesis that has now incorporated finance uh, and capital fully, but is still based in land. Uh, I know you've talked about this on the stream before, but, you know, just responding to something that was personally interesting to me, I, it was very interesting in, in um, uh, uh, Republic for Which It Stands going through all of the, um, the how much of a fraud, a recognizably fraudulent system the 19th century railroads were. And not fraudulent in the, oh, God, the they didn't work, but, you know, like, yeah, just like a very... In the in twenty first century recognizable speculative, uh, you know, boom and bust that you know, yeah. we, we are we are told that or, or 
we are led to believe that the railroads supported Western migration or whatever, but it was like, no, the railroads went up first and then kind of everything filled around that because the railroads had to exist as a way to like sink money and industry into them. Yep. Yeah. And they, and they created a whole, uh, because the thing about, the thing that has to be remembered is that people don't really move if they don't want, if people don't want to move generally. Mm Mm-hmm. People in most of the time no, in, move, in history fucking, now that's changed in, in among like middle and upper classes now. It's like the worst thing so you can do. Neurotic. Having to move it sucks. Uh, Molly and I got kicked out of our like old now apartment. though. Like it's but the thing is is that a lot of us don't think of that historically because now we are so at- atomized, alienated, and uprooted from any kind of social matrix in our lives that. And we're so neurotic because of it. Mm-hmm. We all sort of take moving around sort of by compulsion for granted. At least I know I do. Yeah. And a lot of people in like the uh, the Matt, professional classes. Matt, make would you up say that you are uh, rootless? I'm a rootless cosmopolitan. Exactly. We're rootless cosmopolitans, and and we look at history through that lens. Historically, people do not want to fucking go anywhere. They want to stay put. They have to be forced in some way. Like uh, capitalism was enforced on the European peasantry. It was not something that they demanded. They didn't demand freedom from the land. They didn't demand, they, they sure, they didn't want to fucking have to, you know, give uh, their produce to the fucking Lord and do corvée labor and shit like that. But they did not want to do anything other than for the most part, be on the land. They had to be pulled off through enclosure, which Marx points to as like the definitive sort of since uh, political uh, beginning of uh, capitalism in, in England, they had to be thrown off the common land and denied the ability to sustain themselves independently. And so that's what, had, that's what drove them into the cities. The ones who came to America, by and large, were either compelled economically, like off the land, couldn't make it in, this, in uh, uh, the cities, or neurotically, like the middle class Puritans who were driven insane by, uh, by their separation, uh, who needed to recreate connection to uh, something by literally going across the fucking ocean, trying to tame the, tame the wilderness. Uh, everyone is being compelled either by like mania or, or an economic gun to the head. Uh, and it was, the America's West was only really settled by, uh, by a concerted effort to pull people out there and make the decision of whether to risk it all easier for people. That's why it was funny seeing uh, that one of David Schmick's uh, answers for oh, yes. how do we uh, how do we solve the problem we have here with that everybody nobody the rich getting richer and political everybody being so partisan. Uh, was to give people tax rebates to move to jobs. That's one of the very... Even though he had fetishized like that 50s uh, uh, culture of, of like uh, suburban domesticity, which, by the way, was already a hyper-isolation compared to previous ways of human, rela- human, intera- human interaction. And now he wants to get rid of even that, make everybody like move from tent city to tent city. Uh, I mean, not to be too much of a downer, but I, I, I think you can even feel that in... I'm sure people out there can feel that in their own families, even just going back a few generations, that sense of remove from any kind of like con- continuity of family or whatever. Uh, and, and the tensions mm-hmm. that it plays in your, uh, in your own families and families lives. I mean, I, I'm not going to get too much into it, but I, I've certainly felt that kind of thing in my, in my own family. 
Um, but it, it's also funny that you guys are continually, that we all are uh, continually tearing our hair out about that. Because I remember that as like one of the earliest Chapo bits, that Kevin D. Williamson article uh, about how everybody should just move. Yes. Yes. It's, like it's funny that that's always move, the... But then they also... It's always the only answer. We'll just go someplace. Well, where am I going to go, motherfucker? Also, that a guy like Kevin Williamson, any of these people who is not a total libertarian psycho who just wants, yeah, human liver vending machines and a total, like, the, the, the dissolvement of all culture, mm-hmm. uh, like a total, like, transhumanist types. If you're any kind of cultural conservative, how the hell... Can you insist with one hand that you want people to act out of something other than the most narrow self-interest possible? And also that you want to create a social order where they can only afford to ever do that. (laughs) Yes. So Um, what are you doing now to your, uh, your, your town here? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just poking around. I'm just kind of managing things like seeing what people need. So over here, I'm looking like, you know, I, I, I guess my eventual goal is to get these guys, these uh, artisans, upgraded to residents. So I think what it goes like residents, sure. engineers, investors, and investors is like the top level citizen that you can get, which makes sense. You know, oh, of you, course, yeah, they're yeah. the job creators. Yeah, they're the job creators. Yeah, uh, that's, I love that investor. It literally that means capitalist. Yeah, exactly. They're they're putting a, a nice euphemistic. Uh, spin on it so i'm just trying to go through and see what these people need i got my i got my canned goods uh needs met here next i need fucking sewing machines so i need to go and fur coats Ugh, these fucking artisans uh so i gotta figure out what i need to do for that and i haven't even checked up on the new world which is where i'll need to go to uh get things like rum production so maybe i'll hop over there so i'm just i'm just kind of poking around and making sure everybody's happy and there's no disasters should we take some questions from the chat yeah, we'll see if anyone. I, I, while they, while you look, uh, while we look, uh, I must say the ideology in this game is, of course, very thick. Not just in calling the capitalists investors, uh, but in framing it as you're looking to satisfy the needs of your citizens. Mm-hmm. That's not how you build capitalism. You create needs yes. that they then that then have to be satisfied. Exactly. So, like this artisan right now is telling me that he needs a sewing machine. Nobody needs a sewing machine until the show, sewing machine is. Yeah, they have to be compelled. Like, where is the fire? Where is the, the compulsion behind this? Where are you making these people do what they need to? What what they now need to do, while making it look like it's an economic, uh, like a force of nature, and not a specific decision made by people for their own self interest. But I also have two ships of the line right now, so maybe we'll do something more, slightly more excited and, and go hunt pirates. Yeah. We'll do a little of that for Get here. some pirates. Get some booty. You, you need something in here to compete with this. Yeah, I'll see if I can uh, kill one of these pirate guys. Ooh, I can pick up some flotsam. Um, all right, let's see. Matt, was there a historical analog to the influencers? Uh, always, every culture has influencers. Uh, they found evidence that uh, particularly well-known gladiators would endorse different specific brands of olive oil in ancient Rome. They'd be like, sell, like uh, you know, Julius's olive oil is the best olive oil in Rome. Take it from uh, the, me, the trident guy. <laughs> uh, I have to say, whenever I, I see... say that the most consistent... Uh, for most of like Western history, anyway, the most consistent influencer would just be like uh, 
uh, fucking priests. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do have to say, whenever you see, um, whenever you see uh, gladiators depicted, the trident and neck guy looks the coolest. But I have to think that that is probably one of the least. I don't want to be trident and neck guy. When I'm doing the photo shoot, me, I'll be trident and net net guy. But yeah, no, I want I want the sword and the the armored arm. That guy. Sword plus armored arm is pretty good. Not not shield, armored arm. Yeah. Uh, these guys, by the way, all those different types, those were like specific types and they had names, which I always think is awesome. What, like, like they had uh, categories, like you were playing an RPG or something, right? Yeah, the, uh, the, guy, yeah the guy with the net and the trident was called Retarius, which is, <laughs> uh, that means net fighter. So that was your class. Yeah, yeah. And then the guy with the uh with the shield uh uh and the sword uh is was called a secutor. And then the Mermillo is the guy with the sword and the armored arm. Uh the Mermillo that's that's pretty good. I mean, I'm wondering if you yeah. can like multi-class, so maybe I'll pick up the trident but keep the armored arm. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll do a few levels in Armored Arm, but uh, keep Trident as my main. How are you going to catch a guy in a net? <laughs> How do you possibly catch someone with a net? Have you ever like tried to do that? Someone's moving. You got one hand to do it because you're holding the Trident in the other one. It's it's definitely seems like something that you'd, you would be like, ah, when I have them in my net, then all I need to do is poke them in the Trident. But then you're out there in the big dusty field. And the guys running around, and you're trying to get in the net and being like, God, my whole strategy revolves on this net. Yeah, everybody has a net until they have to throw it. And then they don't have a net anymore. And now they just have a fucking trident. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's also, it, uh, it has the uh, disadvantage of once you've deployed your net, you have been disarmed with one of your arms. Honestly, I think that the way to use the net is not to throw, but just to whip and hope that a guy gets tangled up in it. And then you can usually just... Yeah, just, just throw him in his stab him. You got no chance that you're actually going to uh, fucking do anything. There was a guy who dual-wielded knives called the Dimarcarius, which means bearing two knives. Two, that's dual-wielding. That's the John Wick of uh, of Gladiators. Um, how about Do you have any thoughts on the movie Gladiator? I don't know if I've ever heard you talk about that. <sighs> fucking Ridley fucking Scott, man. Just, I do not understand how people like that movie. He ruins the opening bat fight between the uh, the Roman Legion and the barbarian Germans. Ruins it with shaky camp bullshit. And as a Scorsese diehard lover, I will admit that Scorsese does a similar job botching the opening rumble between the dead rabbits and the uh, and the natives in uh, Gangs of New York. Uh, you know, I, uh, I honestly just watched Games of the New York either for the first time or the first time for since like high school, like uh, maybe a month ago. Uh, and I liked it a lot. But yeah, the, some of that opening stuff is, is, is kind of disappointing. It, it feels like there are like very slight changes you could make to that movie to make it go from, yeah. you know, like B tier Scorsese to very much A or S tier Scorsese. I mean, cutting out Cameron Diaz and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio entirely would be a good way to start that, I would argue. Uh, oh, also, um, the the chair, the scenes of gladiatorial combat, and, and specifically the, uh, the the Battle of Carthage reenactment, 
butchered to shit in editing. Uh, the whole thing that he's gonna like bring back the republic. It's like, it, are we so like presentist and like uh, American brained that we cannot conceive of a story ending, even if it's historically fucking situated? Without like some sort of insane civic redemption, like oh yeah, the, you know the kind of the place with the slavery and everything. Yeah, they just got rid. They get they just brought back democracy <laughs> because they killed the emperor. Uh, Why would like yeah? Just ugh. I I mean I haven't seen that movie. I like I like Russell Crowe in it though, and Hakeem Phoenix is good. Uh, I think the performances are great. I haven't seen that movie forever. I was thinking about that again. A thing that I was tweeting about Molly and I were talking about movies that we watched on buses during long bus rides mm. in childhood. And I remember watching Gladiator. Pro- I, not the first time. I think I watched that movie maybe at home, but at least the last time I watched it was on a bus ride, which is maybe the worst way that you could ride that, watch that movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, although, like I said, the video, uh, or I mean, the even on the big screen, those, those fights just don't hit. Ridley was a fucking hack, man. I'm sorry. He's got some good uh, interior design, and he can uh, sometimes set a mood, but he just cannot string it. He's kind of like, he reminds me of Robert Rodriguez, honestly. It's just, how do you fuck that up? How do you fuck that up? That's what I always end up thinking when I'm watching his movies. Uh, You know... I like... I mean, this is an obvious one for me, but you know that I'm a big fan of... um, uh, Alita Battle Angel, and if we're talking about Rodriguez, I know you do. Yes, that movie's a lot of lady fun. with the big eyes and Christoph Waltz. Yeah, <laughs> and also Christoph Waltz is there. Uh, Christoph Waltz in that normal movie, normal eyes though. He has a rocket hammer. Okay, that's pretty cool. A hammer with a rocket at the back of it. So when he swings his big hammer at things, the rocket goes off and propels it into people. It seems like overkill, but cool. That's fine. I mean, think about that. Just think about it for a second. Um, what else? Any other uh, things in the chat? Uh, any questions about the 19th century? This is an Anno 1800 stream. I have not read the Hob- I have read the. I've not read all of the Hobbesbond 19th century books, but Hobbesbond is great. If you want big, like, wide-angle history of the era, it's good. Because at this point, that's all that I'm really interested in. I'm, I'm sick of all. I'm sick of micro history of any kind. That really- like you can prove anything. It's all true. It's like it's like going. You can find any narrative out of anything if you get uh, close enough. You can only really get to meaningful like truths that can last and linger with you if you get big. Uh- that seems like Why a very uh, a very aughts and tens thing is the micro history where it's like, uh, you know, the title would be like, blah, 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 how pearl diving changed the world economy forever. You know, something like that. Well, that's like in the popular realm. Yeah. Like you had salt, cod, uh, toilets. They would just take the history of one thing throughout. Yeah, and then, I mean, then of say, course, this thing me. is really important. This stuff's really important. Mm-hmm. Have you, then, have even you, in uh, in like academic history, the uh, uh, the necessity to find a niche 
means that you basically have to go like more and more specific. And I just feel like the more specific you get, the less you can take from it because like life is an infinite matrix of things happening. You know, it's like what, and that's why people get paralyzed trying to understand the world around them because you can get a story that makes sense out of any amount of like disparate pieces of uh, data got to stand back a little bit to get any kind of coherence out of it. I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier with the, um, you know, trying to use any given uh, description as, you know, not like the entirety of something, but, you know, just a heuristic in which you can evaluate certain levels of analysis about things and like kind of see if they're true and to what extent they, they work. You know, if anybody's ever trying to sell you like a silver bullet of history uh, or an, an analysis, that person is wrong. I don't think that that is that revolutionary of a statement, but you know. Well, I mean, it's all about what you're trying. Like I said, like it can be internally consistent and, and explanatory, but yeah, it requires ignoring some things and focusing on others. Yeah. And so it can be right with internally consistent, but that doesn't mean that it is useful to whatever point you're trying to understand. Right. How does civil war general, uh, Honestly, they were all kind of ratty looking. Honestly, they um, were all kind of either round or ratty looking. Uh, Grant is pretty handsome. I would young, say. just Google image search young U.S. Grant. That is he. He that is a 19th century hottie. Yes, young, absolutely. Young U.S. Grant can get it. Yeah, I think McClellan not only obviously a rancid copperhead, but just too much of a dandy for me. Uh, the the velveteen touch of a dandy fop. Velveteen touch of a dandy fop. And you know what? The velveteen touch of a dandy fop would not do it during the Civil War. Oh, no. You know, you needed a, a mailed, mailed fist. Uh, uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain's kind of handsome, too. But, like, again, they're, he's a little ratty. He's got a nice, like, round head. People thought that uh, uh, Robert E. Lee was, like, the handsomest man on Earth. There's so many descriptions of people talking about how handsome and what a stud he was. Uh, you know, just because I've never really thought about it, Matt, what happened to Robert E. Lee after the war? Uh, he retired to his little town or to his, uh, or no, they kicked him off of Arlington to make it into the cemetery, which owned. That was a good own. One of the few real decent owns. Uh, but then he became, I think he was a, 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 a college uh president, which was a common thing you'd do after uh, you uh, left public life. Uh, he mostly stayed out of the public eye. Uh, probably a good move. Yeah. And honestly, kind of the, uh, the kind of thing that people uh, don't think of doing enough these days. You, it's, it, that's like the, uh, you know, staying out of the public life is like the just simply choosing not to tweet of the 19th century. Yeah, yeah, and it, it does wonders for you. You know, if you stay, if you get out of people's vision long enough, they will. You will eventually, because everything else gets worse around them. Uh, you will eventually start looking better by comparison to what's around you, because you're not around to annoy them. So yeah, learning how to go away is uh, is useful, but it's hard for people when. Uh, they're afraid that if they get forgotten, they'll never be remembered, which at this point is much more of a, of a risk than it was back then when there were like three famous people. 
Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, but I just I see this I coming up. Bad for the uh, poor any uh, never shut up, tortilla maker. Comes with uh, any thoughts on the Paris Commune, Matt? It was the 150th anniversary of the Par- the Paris Commune this week. Yes. Uh, wow, that was a. Uh... That was something, huh? Yeah, the first attempt to uh, <laughs> so that to, happened like, self direct to, to to self direct a economic uh, institution under and transition from capitalism. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, the thing that's funniest about uh, that with Marx is that Marx originally, when it happened, was pretty dismissive. He's like, "You guys don't have anything like the ability to uh, to sustain this. You're 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 going to get owned." then it stuck around and then all of those people fucking died defending it. 30,000 massacred at the Communard wall and in the streets of Paris, uh, almost twice as many as who died during the entire reign of terror. Uh, but, uh, by that, at, at that point he was like, uh, yeah, no, it was good. <laughs> uh, but I mean, his reasoning was, this is an example. Like this is, this is an example that it, it can be done. This is an example that like the power exists to do it, it just requires a bravery that is beyond most of us. But I mean, it would not have been a thing that you would just want to decide to do as a strategy. But very few things that end up being hap- end up happening are that they are response to conditions. And uh, the idea of after the the the, uh, the French government had disastrously gotten Paris encircled by the fucking Prussians uh, demanding that they return their arms and go back under the rule of an illegitimate government in the aftermath of the uh, abdication of Napoleon III. Uh, yeah, like, how could you continue going on as a political person? How could you continue to see yourself as a socialist or even as a worker if you didn't uh, start to try to stop that? Because uh, it all started with uh, the attempt by uh, the precise government to disarm uh, a National Guard company of their artillery. And it led people to flood the streets. Uh, it led the troops to some of them to uh, defect. And it led them to finding the guy who had massacred the, 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 uh, uh, the workers in the June days of '48 drag him out of his house and fucking own his ass. And uh, after that, uh, it was basically a, a cast die that had to be played out. I'm trying to hunt down this Is this time. your uh, f- fleet here? Yeah. So you see all, all my show, all my ships. Okay. Look I've at got, my ships. Look at my ships. I've got three ships of the look line. Look at my Nobody ships. Nobody's to try to fuck with me. I really, well, that's a good number of ships in the line. I really want to get these guys, hunt down one of these pirates. I want to engage one of these guys. But I yeah, have get his gold. I have a feeling that they're too fast and they're not going to let me shoot them. Oh, here we go. Yes, yes. Let's do Attention this. Hell yeah! Get these guys. Get these guys. Get their asses. Take their gold. Use it to buy more uh, goulash. Or what do you need? Windows. Uh, now I need sewing machines. Oh yeah, get some get some sewing machines with the gold here. 
Hell yes. Look at this. No chance. Boom! Oh. Get some! Get some! Get fucking wrecked! Fuck you, Blackbeard. Hell yeah. Shit, who are these guys? Uh, more pirates. Oh, I'm destroying oh, these guys. Look at this naval warfare. Hell yes. This is a veritable fuselage. Princess King is very pleased with you. Yes. Uh, I, let's see what our diplomatic relationship is. Uh, oh, we are actually in an alliance. Under attack. I need to. Wait so that's the Dowager Empress of Japan, of China, the one who. I mean, uh, they're not. They're, they're on the like, Boxer Rebellion. Uh, I, I think that they're just like you know, kind of implications or theoretical archetypes of of rulers. Right. Okay. One of them is Australian, clearly, because she's got the hat. Oh, shit. Oh no, this is not good. No, get out of there! I did not tell you to engage. Oh no! Who are you? Who are you fighting now? Oh shit! Oh fuck! Are you attacking a, another island? Yeah, because this is the this just is do the it. Pirate do stronghold. it. Take your ship. Invade. No. Oh, no, a pirate stronghold. Oh no! One of my ships of the line got owned. Oh no! Oh god! I fucked up. Oh. Oh, I fucked up. Oh no! Uh, I sent them in the wrong direction. They got fucked up. Oh, oh. I'm sorry if I distracted you. Oh yes. Owned. But you know what? Oh. I already got another one out here. Hey, uh, that's how the Romans did it. They lost an entire fucking fleet, and then they just built another one. Um, oh, and I'm even out of sails. Can't even construct anymore right now. Build back better. Yes, I will indeed build, build back better. <laughs> Listen, Jack. I say, hey, we see these pirate strongholds. I just say, well, buddy, ever had a really good... Really good peanut brittle. I'll tell you, <laughs> you have some of that. You don't have to worry about being a pirate anymore. I would like to. I would like somebody to ask Joe what he thought of the uh, the bar the Barbary situ the pirate situation on the Barbary coast. I would like to know his position on the Barbary uh, piracy. Yes. Should we recognize Tunis? <laughs> um. What else? What else is going on? Oh, no offense to the Greeks. I. I mentioned this before we started recording yesterday, uh, but in my research of trying to find the video of him talking about Greek rice pudding, I couldn't find it, but I found another clip, or not another clip, a post from an Ohio newspaper in 2012 where Biden was getting recognized by like a Greek Christian assembly, um, and he deployed the same quote eight years ago about how uh, he he thinks the Greeks make excellent rice pudding. Uh, I'm telling you, man, he 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 had a very vivid experience as a young man with Greek pudding in a Greek or uh, with rice pudding in a Greek diner. Yes, and and that is now returning to his dying brain. That's the only way that any of it makes sense. Uh, also, he uh, fell three times going up the stairs of Air Force One today. Did you see that? That was that was really rough to watch. I didn't like seeing. It's that. tough, man. I like, like making. I really, love, it's. I love the, the lightest eye. I love making fun of Biden in the uh, in the 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 saying nonsense stuff. But like any part of him where he really is just like a feeble old man. That 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 stuff's not fun. It's not. It's, 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 it's not fun in any way. You know, like they all. Uh, it's going to come for all of us. Yeah. Uh, there was one guy uh, who was a one, one gladiator 
called Asestus, who just used uh, he, he was a boxer who just had like big metal uh, spiked gloves. Ooh, wow. That's it. And that's all he had. He had no fucking armor. He would just try to punch his way to victory. Uh, seems risky. So, yeah, so the Greek rice pudding isn't a thing, right? That's Has anybody uh, ever had a Greek rice pudding? Just, just give me a simple yes in the chat, if true. Don't. I mean, what, what yes. do we know? Thick, thick flair. Greek rice pudding is a thing. Thick flair. I mean, when I when I've had a Greek food, and I, I don't generally go to the Greeks for my desserts. Spanakopita uh, is more of a chocolate uh, fan. Is pretty great though. Yeah, baklava. Got Spanish. Not Spanish. Uh, baklava. That's my what's the gift. Yeah, baklava. And then, like, I don't really know of them having any kind of pudding. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I but my other thought is either he had it. One, there was like a Greek diner near him that just had it because they knew it was like a thing that one made, or either that or it's like a kind of yeah. racism that hasn't existed in forty years, which is another thing yeah. that I could very much imagine Biden having. Sure, it's all it's all just. You'd have to follow it back through like a chain of relations connecting to a, a child and because he's regressing fast. Uh, Although are, if that was eight Greek, years ago, he was a little sharper back then, so it Greek, might have been like repeated. Uh, uh, let me be clear. Somebody, uh, somebody was asking, are Greek diners a thing? I, I've always known them to be a thing. Is that maybe more of an East what? Coast Obviously. thing? Yeah. Okay, so I guess if, if you can be an American and not know Greek diners are a thing, then I guess it's possible that... I could not know that Greek rice pudding is a thing. Maybe it's an East Coast thing, but the Greeks run the diner trade in mm-hmm. the mid-Atlantic region up through uh, a tri-state. That's for sure. All right. What am I looking for here? I need more workers. These guys are fine. But yeah, Detroit also has... I've been there a bunch of Greek diners too. So I think Chicago too. It's basically wherever there's people. So if you don't have that association, you grew up around... Uh, suburbs or no like non urban areas maybe the west coast too uh shout out if anybody's here in new york shout out neptune 2 diner an amazing greek diner uh, in our general vicinity you know what's funny the one thing i you should never get at a greek diner and i've done it a few times to my always to my regret is a euro They're never good at a Greek diner because they don't have the, the big thing. They don't have the meat towers. They always use those little patties. The, the slivers, yeah, yeah. You got to go to a place. If yeah, you don't like, see the, the vertical meat slab, you can't. don't get the, the meat. meat is not twirling and, and, and being delicious, then there's absolutely no reason to be there. But they never have that at the Greek restaurants. No. You got to go to just diners. general. Or the like, Greek diners, rather. Uh, general yeah, you got to go to a real place, like a, a place that calls itself a taverna. <laughs> I do love a good euro. Now I feel like Biden. I could talk about euros all day. Listen, Jack, you ever yeah. had that Arby's euro? Gotta uh, we say, know, we all know about place, the Arby's euro. Not bad, but also there's two places in Milwaukee I'd go to when I lived there. There was like Oak, Oakland euro, Oakland euro on Oakland Avenue. It was delicious, great late night spot. You go know, there, you see a lot of people after the bars closed, just hooting and hollering. 
And then also, though, on, on uh, Brady Street on the east side, though, there's, uh, there's Apollo. Don't forget that one. It's smaller, less likely to get a table at night, but man, man, was that good pita. That's what I'm going to be talking about when I'm president at age 80. What the, speaking we're going to talk about Oakland, Euro versus Apollo in Milwaukee in the uh, aughts. Speaking of Greek places, Euros, fast food, and uh, Oakley, um, one of the things I think is important to grasp about the Cincinnati staple, the um, the Cincinnati chili. That's Greek. That is a Greek food innovation. It is a Greek food innovation. Cincinnati I think chili. that makes a lot of sense about it. That it's not really a chili. It's like a Greek sweet meat sauce. It's Greek sweet meat sauce. That's yeah. what it is. It's it's a it's a Mediterranean pasta dish. Yeah, exactly. It's not chili in the American sense. Um, and I think that if you consider it on that level, like the, the it's really the only thing American about it is having a limited vocabulary to describe something new. So just reaching to something uh, uh, old, you know, uh, the other very American thing about it is the five pounds of processed bright yellow cheese uh, product oh, that you God, put that on cheese top. product is so good though. Oh my God. That's pretty American. That's, that's some, that's some USA shit. Right I there. actually that's found not, out that a, not uh, doing that in Athens, a, um, a restaurant near me, uh, doesn't serve Skyline, but but uh, will deliver like a Cincinnati style chili dish, and I might get that this weekend. Mm, you know, I wasn't like addicted to this stuff, but I did like. It. I did enjoy it when I was. It's there. a good once in a oh, while, definitely. which is why whenever I I go back, I do end up going there, which makes it because like whenever I say I went back to Cincinnati, somebody's like, "Oh, did you get some of the chili?" And I always have to be like, "Yeah, I did," because it's a good fast food treat. That you can only get in one location. You can't get it anywhere else. So that's the time you have to go. It's I like you in, in the Northern Great Lakes in Culver's, right? Like if, if, I, if I'm in Wisconsin, I'm going to Culver's. You know what's interesting is that Arizona and Florida both have Culver's. Interesting. That is one of those things. It's like how there are weird because outposts of In and Out in in different weird places. But those two make sense though, because what do those places have in common? They are retirement. Meccas for Midwesterners. Uh, you know where I have also gotten Skyline Chili, Matt? Uh, near Naples, Florida. Ah, see, there you go. Exactly. I, I Midwesterners, they move to the nice warm places and they miss the treats of their childhood and the, their of their adulthood even. Yeah. And so, they, hey, you guys like Culver's? There's going to be enough Wisconsinites to eat, to eat at a Culver's. To sustain one in Florida or Yeah. Uh, we should you really, know, like how, uh, when we can do a show again, we should really go to Florida. We should go to Miami. Oh, we haven't yet, but I would love to. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Jimmy Buffett got them. He became a, a Krispy Kreme franchisee just to have one in Key West. Oh, that rocks. It seems like it would take, I mean, I have no idea how many people live in, um, in Key West, but it seems like it would take a lot. Like that's a labor intensive place. Cause you need people to actually bake donuts and serve. Got a whole factory going on in there of the gla- glaze guys. The glaze guys. The glazemen. The glazers. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, Buffett's such a weird figure, man. Absolute freak. And you know what? Uh, Nick Mullen basically has me convinced that he is a Epstein level uh, uh, pedophile, allegedly. Oh god, uh, I've from... not heard any of the Buffett the Buffett myths. Uh, I mean, he's on the line, flight logs. He is? Oh, that sucks. Uh, he's a high-level Democratic donor. Oh, God. And uh, the lyrics to Cheeseburger in Paradise, i got to tell you, they're a little... Cheese Pizza in Paradise, more like it. That's what I Cheese say. Cheese Pizza in Paradise. 
Uh, I don't love to hear that. Yeah. I want you, you always hold out that there's some some good ones, uh, and I do. Really, love- you're holding out hope on the guy who made his fucking made four novelty songs into a fucking uh, ch- chain restaurant empire. Uh, all I'm saying is that Cheeseburger in Paradise is a good vibe. The che- I've had the cheeseburger, by the way, and it sucks. Um, you've had. A I che- guess that's what the, you've had the cheeseburger. I was in Vegas, yes, which is about the best place to go to the Margaritaville. And I went to the Margaritaville, and I was like, I'm having the cheeseburger, even though I knew it was going to be bad. And I had it, and it was bad. And obviously, shame on me for ordering it, but shame on them. It's called Cheeseburger in Paradise. It's the name of the song that your entire fucking casino is inspired by. It should be a good, good. fucking, yeah, I get, I get that. You know what was really should not be some Cisco system shit. Uh, you know what was really disappointing, Matt, uh, was the uh, and uh, yeah, again, this is something like I don't know what I expected, but the the Guy Fieri restaurant we went to in Atlantic City, very bad in Atlantic City, ooh, real dog shit. And of course, it's Guy it's Guy Fieri. I'm not expecting much, but I think the real problem is that they he tried to make it too fancy. He tried to make it like a nice, yeah, uh, like a uh, casino restaurant meal. And what I really want is a fucking like a big sloppy burger with some kind of wild sauce that I can't identify all the ingredients in, but it tastes yeah. delicious on it. Yeah. He got caught in that anxiety of middle, that agonized middle area where he has got this like populist reputation, but he's trying to serve high price points. Right. Exactly. And how do you do that? Cause you know, these people have expectations. And then, so then you, you give them what they want, but you give them a shitty version of it. Cause people don't know what they want. The thing. That's the thing. If you go to go after what they want, you will create garbage. Look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Oh boy, we we haven't talked at all about. uh, Have you Have you watched the? um, I'm watching it this afternoon. um, I'm girding my loins. I will either watch it later tonight or tomorrow. Um, I was worried when when Molly said on Twitter that you didn't want to watch the Snyder Cut. Well, no, I was just that last night I knew I would be uh, I'd be editing Chapo until like eleven or twelve, and I can't you can't start the Snyder Cut at twelve. You cannot unless you're an absolute madman. Yeah, exactly. So we were you know we were going to watch we're going to try to watch it all in one chunk. Um. So yeah, I I, last weekend I started to watch the the director's cut of Batman versus Superman that they have on HBO just to try to like remind myself of like the world. Uh, whole deal, his whole his whole deal. But you know what we did watch last weekend? It's very ponderous. Is uh, three hundred? We watched three hundred again last weekend, and honestly, I had a lot of fun. That movie is extremely stupid and uh, often looks like stupid and ugly, but fun. I mean, it's fun. It's something. He's, he went for something, and it and it came together. His attempt to replicate a Frank Miller comic. Mm-hmm. He is a very good mimic. Like Watchmen is able to look in many places almost uncannily like, uh, like the the graphic novel. Uncanny is a great way to Snyder say it. Has is that he doesn't is that he can't grasp with like the content of Watchmen like he can grasp the content of Three Hundred because the content of Three Hundred is just this like you know a homo social fascism. Uh, it's just Ernst Younger in fucking uh, speedos. So he can play that, and he plays it perfectly. It's it's a much more successful movie in that regard, even though, yes, it's absurd in so many ways. I mean, I'm sure my final takeaway from it will be the most enlightened opinion, which is 
uh, it's fine. Three stars, two and a half, three stars. You know, it, it, yeah. The thing is, you can only you can only really judge it in the context, and I think the reason that people are vibing with the Snyder Cut, and I can already I already see people saying that it's not bad and in fact good. It's because. It is different than the hegemonic cultureless MCU. Yes, and if you give something even slightly different, people uh, it, it blows people's minds. Um, it, it actually is kind of a metaphor for politics because the MCU obviously are the Democrats. It's, <laughs> it's maxi culture put to get put out by you know the, the apex of world finance capitalism, the culture of world finance capitalism, uh, and it's hegemonic and it controls the culture. Like MCU is the unproblematic superhero universe for people who are uh, politically on the uh, social liberal side, which is that's the side of mainstream culture as generated by finance capital. And then DC is uh, the Republican Party because it's it's still coded as white male. Its champions are uh, uh, edgelord types who are hostile to the hegemonic uh, sort of woke culture. Uh, and then you're forced to choose one. And, you know, there's a vitality to uh, the DC stuff that makes it appear more challenging to convention. But it's made by the same fucking corporate structure. And it's also shit. The correct answer is you don't have to pick one of them. You don't have to pick one of these. Just like with the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, you do not have to invest yourself in, like, supporting them as a... Uh, as a as a going concern, either politically or as a thing that you watch, which is that's why they're essentially the same thing. Uh, I saw somebody in the chat say, "Does this make struggle session post left?" Which I think is very funny. Uh, but I the thing is that I also watching something like, uh, like the Snyder Cut or you know Batman versus Superman. I kind of I don't feel that way, but I kind of get getting super into it and being like, "No, this is genius." Uh, just because it is, it does feel so good to like feel somebody's hands craft something. And I know that this isn't, um, this isn't quite the same, but I always think back to the, like the first time, one of the the things that were like opened up my mind to how movies work and, uh, made honestly made me like want to go to film school, which I did was like the first time I saw Pulp Fiction because, and I feel, I feel like now that's like generally, Hey, like she was talking about this, that it's now generally considered like, Oh, it's like a basic one for your favorite Tarantino. But that was one of the first movies I saw that really broke my brain into understanding that a guy make like a movies are made by people and not just people, but a yes. specific person with a vision who like has conceived of this entire thing. And it is, uh, you know, their execution of vision. Um, and so, and that, you know, is a very kind of magic moment if you're like a, 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 a cinema enjoyer of, of kind of realizing that it's not just something that you consume because it's sprayed at you with a hose through pop culture, but that it is the product of somebody's actual creative vision and execution and in a very specific way. Um, and I think that in the superhero space, I, I can get why, why fixating on Zack Snyder in that way in the superhero universe could feel a little bit like the way that I felt when I saw a pop fiction for the first time I was like, Oh my God, somebody yes. made this, you know, someone made this. This is a, pers- this is an individual perspective. And I think one, 
the the uh, honestly, I kind of as much as we rail against it, it is inevitable that people are going to charge the relationship with these uh, entertainments emotionally, not necessarily even because they don't they, they don't want anything better, but because you can't talk about anything else. And like art is only you can only really appreciate it like to, and, and have a relationship with it to the extent that you can like incorporate it, you know, into your life and. And the only way, and the only art that people talk about that can allow you to, you know, bounce things off of and to form more opinions around is the only way to chew on it is by going online. And the only things that are being talked about online are these fucking movies. And so you sort of, if you want that to be where you engage in culture, and for most of us, that's really, you don't have a lot of other options on where to engage in culture. And, and like the building of a personal aesthetic and like associating uh, emotions with art you end up having to do that because that's where that's where the conversation is about. So I get that. And then I also get uh, that desire for the handcrafting. And that really does speak to that same thing about how this is the Democrats and the Republicans, and even more basically, this is land versus finance, because the, the, the cultural battle between the Democrats and Republicans, those broad blocks now, is really about capitalism as dematerialized and like everywhere, totally aerosolized uh, and depersonalized, or capitalism aerosolized, personified, like uh, or capitalism personified, mm-hmm. because for for the for the right wing capitalists, they hate global agendas and tech giants and all this diet, all of this stuff that they can't understand. The capitalism they embrace is literally embodied in businessmen like Donald Trump, like the My Pillow guy. <laughs> it is it is embodied in actual people carrying out actions, and in the same way, the Snyder DC movies have a uh, have a sinew to them because you can see a person behind them, as opposed to the MCU things, which no matter who's behind the camera are just this this dematerialized string of of uh, content. Like they've thrown talented directors at the MCU and all that gets put out is the same fucking uh, garbage. Uh, and, 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 and the I got, same... And the I, got, same... I was just going to say that like my boy Sam Raimi is getting a stab at... Honestly, what I think is my favorite MCU movie is Doctor Strange and I know that it is going to sand off everything that I like about Sam Raimi and just be another uh, yep. Doctor Strange movie. Yep. I mean, and everybody... I mean... Directors have literally walked away, like Edgar Wright did, yeah. from MCU movies because of their inability to, to accept the framework. Which means, basically, by definition, that anybody who sticks around to get a work, uh, to get a directing credit on one of these things has agreed to be sanded down. Oh God, we do honest work. Give us honest pay. Ooh, ooh, my, oh no, my, <laughs> my, my, oh no, my colonial subjects are in riot. Oh boy! Did you oh didn't boy! Give enough, I thought, uh, tortillas I, and shiny rocks. Yeah, I, I, I bungled. Uh, I'm gonna. Oh add... man, look at those guys! Oh, you got the fists. You never want to see the fists. Yeah, you know, I uh, apparently Matt, there's another game which maybe will be the next one of these that's very similar to this, but it's called Tropico. Uh, and one of the things you're basically it's so this is my new world colony where I'm building. I'm 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 making like plantains and shit. Uh, and like making rum to ship back to my to my uh, main world or, or or I don't know what you call it in this game uh, old world uh, subjects, 
But in Tropico, apparently, you start off as the colonial governor and you can choose to take the side of the colonial revolutionaries uh, once that Hell yeah. uh, unrest foments. Um, I like that. Yeah. Uh, but because it's a game, I'm just going to plop a police station down. Oh, what a shock. Yeah. Discipline and punish. Uh, I don't know. Just got to let them know who's boss, and it ain't them. Constructed. Uh, uh, what were we talking about? Movies? Uh, Sam Raimi. Uh, yeah, people walking away. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, this is a very interesting time. I'm sure people will still be hungry for it, but it is funny to think that at in the trajectory of this cultural hegemony established by the uh, MCU, that basically at the moment that they uh, reached the pinnacle of a certain level of success and then were pivoting into like how they could build off of it, uh, movies disappeared for a year. And I remember uh, mm-hmm. some, uh, you know, a few people pointed out to me are we, when we did the end of the decade uh, podcast and did predictions for 2019 going into 2020. Um, bring order to the scattered cosmos? I don't have t- attention to do this right now. Um, one of my predictions was this would be the year 2020 would be the year that a Marvel movie failed and they're like machine or not failed, but you know, like bombed underperformed. It didn't do, as well as they thought it would. It, yeah, like Solo movie. for the new Star Wars movie. Exactly. That I thought that 2020 would be that year. And that is a, a real, uh, I, I don't know, uh, monkey's paw prediction because it was. Like, they, they had to yeah. push all their fucking movies. So it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain it failed their, to launch. their same position, uh, having pushed all of their properties, being able to generate this treadmill of con like every at this point like four to five months new huge tentpole movie coming out and then disappearing for 18 months i don't know that's why that fucking wandavision thing was all over the place like that's not organic that no, there's a that's all they had are push yeah to get people hey remember this shit you cared about remember this stuff that gave you a reason to get out of your disgusting hovels you fucking pig people this is the stuff you can like robots marrying uh, psychic ladies. Um, That's what you like. Okay. Uh, Marvel is my ultimate. Uh, I'll, I'll still keep drinking that garbage. Uh, Cause I did. Oh, watch, I, mean, I did watch all of WandaVision and you know what? It sucked. It was, oh, even, see, that's the thing. I feel like this is my, I watched, I think two episodes and I was just like, I can't, I can't do it no more. Uh, the, the, I'll maybe watch some of the Pemboil movies, but I think I'm actually, I think I've been broken from the thing. Cause yeah, I saw all of them until now, but I think that's it. Uh, the, the TV, the thing that it was premised on of being like a TV parody, the parody part of it sucked ass. It wasn't entertaining at all. It didn't even have any good parody part of it. It was a total failure on its basic concept. And it wasn't until like episode seven of nine or whatever, when it started like, dealing with it what was actually going on in the world uh that there was like literally anything interesting going on when it was parodying tv it fucking sucked yes but it was a meditation on grief but as okay maybe that is its second level i'll even accept on the premise that it is a meditation on grief that is the second level the first level is explicitly this is going to be a TV parody and every single element of its TV parody so completely sucked that it was totally worthless. But I mean, 
I don't know. I, I don't want to go go off too much about it. You guys have just been talking about it so much on the show. I, I feel like I have opinions to vent. But Chris, what is what is grief if not love persevering? Uh, I mean, yeah, I lo- I love that line. I love that you could say that literally with in Mad Lib style about basically anything ever. Um, you know, uh, what what is laughter but joy erupting? What is uh, what is a poop but a fart? Exploding. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, we've been on for about a little over an hour. Um, oh God, we've been on this for almost an hour and a half. Uh, I just get absorbed yeah. in this game. I, I don't have any direction in the game right now, so uh, I'm thinking of wrapping up. Is there any final questions? Yeah, let's wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, maybe we take like one more question and then get off, get off here. Yeah, one more question. I'm looking over here. Worker and resources in the Soviet Republic. It is a city builder. I would like to play a Soviet city builder. I, I would like to see what mechanics that they see. Need. That makes more sense because, like, you can the operating from a central planning position is more is more in line with like the way that the system functioned than this shit. Because like there was no the whole point of capitalism is that it distributes this shit. Mm-hmm. There is no central planning point that makes this stuff happen. Uh, somebody is asking uh, Brazil, the movie thoughts. Uh, I actually just did a podcast a, a week ago. Well, I recorded it like a month ago, but um, a podcast called silver screen video that asked me to come on to talk about a director. I liked, and I chose Terry Gilliam. So we recorded a long episode that I had a very lovely co- talk with uh, the silver screen video podcast people. Uh, about director Terry, Terry Gilliam, and we specifically honed in on Brazil and 12 Monkeys and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as kind of this weird trilogy of alienation, one of like a classic like 1984 dystopia, um, 12 Monkeys is like alienation from time, and uh, Fear in Las Vegas is like alienation from culture. Great talk. I had a really lovely time. If you want to look, if you have a question for this chat, about Brazil and Gilliam, the director, Silver Screen Video Podcast. Uh, I talked to the to them for a long time about that. I'll take this to re- recommend that. Uh, Matt, what's your favorite Rocky movie? And then we'll get off. The one where he fights Mr. T. That's the third one. Uh, here's an embarrassing reveal for me. Never have seen any Rocky movie. That's fine. They're not good. Really? Is that the answer? It's dumb. I mean, I'm not... Not it's I'm not a big boxing movie fan generally. Sports movies in general, honestly, it's like it's always hard to depict it in a way that's I mean, the fights, for example, in Rocky are like cartoons. Yeah, I don't the guys just sort of Yeah. I, I don't really get bo- the cinema's obsession with boxing. I mean I guess I get it, but it's like it it never really works for me. Even Raging Bull I, it, it's it hits on more of an intellectual level for me where I'm like, I see why you would do this. I see why you would be obsessed with this with a filmmaker. You get a camera in the ring. You'd get those POV shots. You can make it visceral, like the cutting. It Like it works cinematically, but it's just like, it's kind of not, it, it just never hits for me. So I, I've never had any. any I'll say this. It sure as shit. Rocky sure as shit should not have won the Oscar over fucking network. That's for sure. Uh, there's one movie I know that had like, uh, that really actually did do boxing uh, action well, and that was The Fighter. <laughs> I, I thought I, that another that, one I've not that, seen that actually did get like 
you invested in it, made it look like a real fight, but also made the stakes clear and like the told the story. But yeah, not generally. But yeah, uh, like the third one is is hilarious because it's Mr. T just doing like wrestling promos on him the whole time. <laughs> and at one point, he like goes down and out, and he has to like wrestle fight Hulk Hogan. Pretty good. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's sign off for today. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad that the game actually worked. Um, yes, that's I was awesome. just like poking around in it. I'm glad that the stream worked um, much better than the Assassin's Creed. Maybe next time I'll check out Tropico and we can maybe try to get into actually instead of just building a police station for my uh, New World uh, colonial subjects to uh, pacify them. I can maybe support them in their revolutionary aims. Um, but yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's let the, the, the world spirit awaken. How about that? Awesome. All right. Well, we'll do another one of these maybe sometime in April. Uh, but until then, bye-bye chat. We'll be back soon. Bye.